Well, good evening. I'm uh, Dee Elliott. I'm Roddy. Leadership told us that we had to shorten our story, that we were a little long-winded. I'm just grateful they didn't say we were a little long in the tooth. So anyway, those uh, of you who are older will get that. Anyway. But before we start, uh, I want to give thanks to uh, John and and Pam and uh, Susan and Raul and and Bethany, sweet Bethany and uh, Ryan. They do such a job, such a wonderful job of reaching in and and uh, loving on so many people in so many different ways. Uh, without uh, their care right now, uh, who knows where we'd really be. Hey, pray with us for a moment, and then we'll share a few things about our life, and hopefully we can touch, uh, touch your hearts. Uh, Father, uh, God, we just come to you this evening, and uh, we come with grateful hearts and thanks for who you are, all that you provide, and how you orchestrate your perfect will in our lives. Father, I give, my, I give you praise that my wife waited patiently on you while she waited for me with open arms. So, Lord, will you bless this evening? Will you bless each man and each woman here tonight with your truth, with your assurance, and with any reconciliation that may be necessary? We claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we're going to talk fast. Well, we're grateful to be here with you all and uh, share as we uh, continue to work in our 45th year of, of marriage. Uh, some of this, yeah. It's a miracle. Give it up. Some of this uh, feels like ancient history and some of it feels like as real as yesterday. And uh, whether you have been married four years or 44 years, we're all in the same boat. Uh, my early life was a series of contrasts in a dysfunctional family that had loved me and give me, gave me values uh, with an orientation to be a servant leader. I, but it was uh, underprivileged in that it wasn't modeled for me. Instead, it was a process of self-discovery through athletics and school, through church and through scouting. For instance, without input or consulting my folks, I accepted Christ as my Savior and was baptized at 13. I was determined to, uh, as I moved through uh, those early years to break out of this. Little did I know how much and how insidious these family of origin factors would contribute to my next 40 years. The beginning for me to change this came with an appointment to the Naval Academy and the opportunity to serve my country, seek adventures of my own, and experience life in a wholly different way. I didn't intend to look back, but then on Christmas Eve 1966, I had a blind date with a gal that would change my mind and my life. My parents were products of the Depression. Uh, They loved me and did their very best to see that I had a good life. But it was full of contradictions, part grandiosity and part self-doubt. My dad's alcoholism was the elephant in the middle of the room that was never addressed. My mom's sister and I just adopted coping skills around the issue we never discussed. My dad traveled and was home on the weekends, and it was then that I witnessed the effects of alcoholism, the damage it wreaked on their marriage, and how it impacted my sister and, and me. It was the center of contradiction. Because of my mother's controlling nature and my father's passivity, I had no sense of self, not a shred. I was a people pleaser. My sense of self was defined by what other people thought about me. On the outside, I looked like a gal who had everything together. I was a Christian at an early age, and we were uh, loyal churchgoers. But inside, I was a scared little girl trying to make it work. On Christmas of my junior year of college, this handsome guy, 
entered the picture bigger than life. We had a crazy courtship, more off than on over a four-year period. And when our relationship was off, I thought Dee was a, well, an arrogant horse's patoot. After meeting uh, that Christmas uh, with her in Kansas City and me in in Annapolis, we saw each other perhaps a total of 15 days over the next six months uh, before we broke up. But 18 months later, she couldn't resist the invitation to uh, come to Philadelphia for an Army-Navy football game. And then there's the my version. After two years of not even talking to each other, he called to ask me to go to the Army-Navy game. In fact, he told my dad because I was out on a date. And when my dad told me, I thought, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, he left his date in Philadelphia, standing in the snow and the cold, to call me in a phone booth that was near there. I was out, so my dad answered... And against my better judgment, I went anyway, not knowing what to expect other than it was going to be cold. But the courtship began, and it seemed to be going well. 18 months later, that's our ring dance picture out of my my junior year at Navy. What a a beautiful gal, huh? She'd been picking strawberries all day that day. It's true. But that's another story. With a French girl that he'd met while on deployment that summer. Hey. I think we're finished now. We should all close the prayer. There's more. 18 months later, we were married, and having spent fewer than 60 days together over stretched over four years. In fact, our premarital counseling consisted of a 30-minute meeting with with her pastor, uh, hardly the type to be sanctioned by Watermark's Burge Ministry. So here we are, married. Oh, and by the way, it's Roddy's turn. So now I am moved. Oh, so now married, I moved away from home for the first time, and the whirlwind started as he basically left me alone for the next three years, deploying back and forth to Vietnam. The last time he left, I was three months pregnant with our first son. We were adult children of alcoholics, both of us, blinded by love and clueless about what it took to be married. The prince had married the princess, but almost immediately our hurts, habits, and hang-ups combined to reveal themselves all too quickly. We were on a collision course to trouble and still didn't have a clue as to how it was supposed to look. Six years later, I resigned my commission and we moved to Washington, D.C. for what turned out to be an interim phase for me to get to know the Lord and for us to work on our marriage. Roddy wanted me to move us to Dallas uh, when we left the Navy, but her allegiances were split between her family and me, and the resentments were huge on both of our parts. By this time, we were very clearly in real trouble. With the move to Washington, I very quickly began to lose myself even more. With one child, I was staying at home, and try as I would, I could not make things right, especially for Dee. On Friday evenings, we attended prayer meetings at Georgetown University, which was introduced to us by the only couple we knew in D.C. They were born-again charismatics on fire with the Holy Spirit. I didn't recognize God's hand in this at the time, but while attending Georgetown, I became infatuated with a guy on the music team, and it almost caused us to get a divorce. Many years later, I understood that I was lonely and not feeling loved. My sense of grandiosity had kicked in, and I wasn't feeling appreciated or valued. I was looking for Dee to satisfy my needs, which was a joke, and he certainly wasn't getting his needs met by me. Uh, 
We didn't even know how to identify the needs, much less how to communicate them to each other. Divorce was looming like a big storm cloud. I was self-absorbed beyond description. And okay, I'll admit I was prone to dominate and manipulate Roddy, usually through verbal brute force. The marriage was so bad, I was simply ready to cut my losses. But through seeds of scripture from childhood, I knew then and know even more now that God hates divorce, and he wanted us to have a successful marriage. Furthermore, I loved my first son so much that I couldn't bear the thought of him knowing me as a quitter. We tried everything we could think of, but continued with crazy behaviors, doing only what we knew to do. None of us can do otherwise. And so the need for a ministry like Reengage to study, understand, and work to know Jesus as, as the true center of our life. With that come new behaviors centered on grace. Then God revealed a couple of key things during this mess. One, we sought, one, we sought godly counsel, not of the world, but from a godly man who led us deliberately with scripture and truth. And he taught me from Ephesians 5, and, and I'm to love Roddy as Christ loved the church. But also that he assigns roles in marriage, not ranks, which implies subordination and subservience. A second thing that we realized some 30 years later and long after the Georgetown affair had faded, we made an important second realization with the re-engaged chapter on forgiveness. One of the outline myths is that forgiveness requires forgetting. We know that God casts our sins as far as east is from west, but as humans we still remember. The key isn't that we must forget. Forgetting's a myth and it's not in our DNA to forget it. Recognizing it's usually about bruised pride Healing for us occurred when the violation became unimportant, when the pain of remembering was replaced with transformed hearts and a healed relationship, when the trust was its replacement and there was no place for bitterness or resentment, not forgetting the grievance, but when it was no longer important in our marriage or in any other relationship. As this healing continued, it became clear that the Lord was finally leading us to come to Dallas to be near family. But with a much healthier understanding and the tools to manage the influences and challenges of living near domineering and dysfunctional parents. For the next several years, I built a business, sought godly counsel and mentorship. And, and with it, we were surprised with a wonderful third son. But as a dog returns to his we vomit... We were shocked. That was my... Hey, it could have been the French girl. <laughs> for the Good next, for her. But, <laughs> oh, where were she we? wanted to be pregnant at forty. Go for it. <laughs> I think she's off script. I, I... <laughs> Let me continue. Okay. okay. <laughs> Oh, back to the serious side. But as a dog returns to his vomit, I regressed and I forgot Peter's admonition that in his first letter, chapter 5, 8, that my adversary, the devil, was prowling around looking to devour me. And with the material success of a robust business, my old friend's pride and arrogance and self-absorbed self-reliance moved back in, and I manifested in self-destructive ways and seeking my own counsel, resulting in total rejection. As David wrote in Psalm 22, my spirit was beginning to dry up. God used this rejection as a beginning of taking me to my knees. And in the chaos that followed, we struggled with a prodigal son and began the long process of recovery, making decisions I never dreamed we would ever even need to consider. But then we found healing in places we never dreamed there was any pain. 
In recovery, I attended Al-Anon sanctioned meetings twice a week where I began to feel it was where I belonged. Uh, at the time, we didn't particularly, were not in, at Watermark and we hadn't joined a church yet. I found myself with people who seemed to be struggling with the same childhood issues as mine. This was before Watermark and our regeneration recovery program. But for once in my life, I felt safe and I could be me. I stayed in a 12-step recovery program for 13 years. And God used the program and a wonderful woman who became my sponsor to turn my life towards him. God performed a miracle in my life. I no longer was codependent, allowing my adolescent child to have control over me. I became, it started to become the woman that God wanted me to be, but it's a continuing process. I began to set healthy boundaries around D, and I turned the job of changing him over to God, and I prayed a lot. But as the storm clouds abated in our family issues, my companies came under attack, and I reverted to survival mode, uh, alone and without community, trusting no one and believing no one could ever understand or would take the time to help. My Tower of Babel was about to fall. The worse it got, the more I isolated in the fight. I violated my early training that two is one and one is none. And the very counsel of Ecclesiastes 4, woe to the man that falls and doesn't have a brother to pick him up. With absolutely no community, sense of transparency or accountability, I struggled to maintain my identity, image, self-esteem, and financial well-being. I trusted no one and no one offered. Roddy and I didn't know how to help ourselves, much less each other. Slowly at first and then at a very fast pace, and certainly not very gently, God strip began to strip me. About this time in 2002, we began attending Watermark at the high school. I can't remember a thing Todd taught. I can only remember the impact and the recognize it as the Holy Spirit moving in my heart. As I yielded, <clears throat> it began to transform me. The darkest days were yet to come, but I stood on the claim. That I was being held in God's very right hand. Scripture came alive. And while I hated what was happening and our financial net worth was evaporating, I had to reconcile that God was in total control, just as he promised. As believers were called in Romans 8 to be conformed to the image of Christ, called, justified, glorified, and with it comes sanctification, a painful and sometimes lonely process, I also learned one once learned another. Uh, excuse me. I also learned once again never to doubt in the dark the decisions that I'd made in the light. One key event was the afternoon I sat with Roddy and acknowledged I was helpless and had surrendered to the Lord. He had me fully on my knees, and I told her I had no answers. I'd come to the realization that surrendering to the Lord is not the same as losing. Instead, it's to claim victory, an absolute dichotomy in human terms, but the essential contrast with common sense. Since then, I've learned to pursue biblical truth, not that which is common to man. To say I'd been trusting in myself and leaning on my own understanding was an under, under, understatement. I'd always tried to lead my family well, but generally with a brute force approach that created predictable tension, bitterness, and resentments. Instead, I committed to pray with her daily, and I asked her to join me in seeking God's will in all of the issues. I love Jeremiah, and in chapter 6 he tells us, you're standing at the crossroads, so consider your path. Ask where the old, reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing, and then follow it. 
And if you do, you'll find rest for your souls. Simply said, trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Our daily prayer, daily prayer life changed all, our life altogether. Slowly, but not entirely. And it heals today's wounds today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And it keeps short accounts. And so I challenge each of the men that are in this room to pray with your wives. Every single day, pray with your wives. Start it, finish it, in between, but pray with your wives. And wives, I'll tell you, if, you're, if your husband isn't there yet, then you initiate it with him. Don't let a day go by that you haven't prayed together. If he won't initiate it, you can do it. But the most report, remarkable things will begin to happen if you're obedient in this. So we took the side of truth and the literal conclusion that because the Lord is in control, as he says in Philippians 4, we have nothing to worry about. And because of this, we can see almost everything with a lighter spirit. Specifically, we can laugh at ourselves more and at the crazy stuff in our marriage that used to drive us absolutely nuts. The Lord is Lord of our relationship. Just Jesus has healed our marriage and our relationships with our sons. And he stands ready to accept yours as the next victory in this life that we share together. The depth of our depravity doesn't shock him. There is no violation or problem or sin that's too big, too ugly, or too socially unacceptable. And I'm grateful that as a body of Christ, the people of Watermark are setting a standard for acceptance of the sinner. Not the sin, but the sinner without judgment and in love. Like you, my life is a work in progress, equipping me to serve the Lord. My role as a wife, a mother, a mentor, a friend, as a teacher and leader. Daily, I have to die to myself. Not an easy thing for an insecure, entitled princess. But Jesus is at the very hub of our marriage. He is the hub. And Dee and I are the spokes. We part daily, he doing his thing, me doing my thing. But praying together daily and being open to the Holy Spirit's leading. My encouragement to you is to never give up. At one point in my marriage, I had a choice to move with D or call it quits. Our marriage was stressed to the max, and we were in deep, deep trouble. The Holy Spirit informed me from Jeremiah, 20, Jeremiah 29, but what if you don't try? What if my plan is to prosper you? I was a very fearful gal, and I was afraid of living with regret. And so I listened to the Holy Spirit communicate his truth. Pray and work on it, but wait on the Lord to transform you, your spouse, and your marriage. I am so blessed to be sharing life with the love of my life. I have a marriage I never knew could exist. God has restored what the locusts ate, just as Joel wrote in chapter 2. The most important thing I want to share with you guys, we said and did a lot of hurtful things to each other. But Jesus never stopped pursuing us and pursuing our marriage. So trust him to heal yours. Become a prayer warrior with and for your spouse and your marriage, no matter how you are feeling. Feelings aren't facts. He wants your marriage to work, and he is faithful in bringing that about. Just as he healed our hearts and our marriage, he will heal yours if you allow him to. It's a sweet thing to experience, and it is a blessing to be able to watch that in others. Let me uh, close with this. What, is it, what, what happens if you don't try? 
and thus prevent the healing, the reconciliation, and the victory. Will your children know the blessings uh, through a relationship with Jesus, or will they know you as quitters? If we had quit, we would have missed the joy and the blessing of raising a family to know the Lord. And we would have missed the enormous blessing that comes with loving on grandchildren. Success in your marriage requires commitment and transparency. It requires and provides accountability. And it allows the Holy Spirit to move, shake, tend to, and heal broken hearts and dreams. I trust that somewhere in our story are a few nuggets of truth that you bury deep in your hearts. But I also trust these nuggets are not merely the common sense of one man or one woman. But instead are gifts to you from a loving father. We're sinners full of ourselves, proud, arrogant, selfish, stiff, And we need a Savior that can put a salve on our hearts and heal our relationships. To the men, you must know well and embed in your heart. I speak to you very directly. You must know in your heart, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, his first letter. Chapter 16, 13. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. Be brave. Act like a man. And to me, that means pray with your wife. There's no worthy substitute to a Christ-centered, vibrant relationship and a loving productive, blessed ministry called marriage. We know all of you can do this, and we pray for you in your adventure. Then it will be your testament to God's unfailing and unconditional love. We thank you for the time together. Blessings on each of you.